Would you pray this prayer after me? Heavenly Father, thank You for the cross. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for the blood of Jesus. Thank You for a hope of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I love that song. Man, if that does not summarize the gospel, I don't know what does. And give us a great message of how great the cross is. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we continue in our journey learning how to be confident in uncertain times. He was a brave man. A brave man who deeply loved Jesus. It didn't matter to him who was around It didn't matter what kind of company he was in, but he loved Jesus so much he was willing to speak the name of Jesus, and he had to talk about Jesus. It was in him so much that he couldn't stop from talking about Jesus. However, on this one occasion when he was speaking the name of Jesus and sharing with others about who Jesus is and what Jesus did, that audience that he was with was not so receptive, and so they dragged him in front of the the teachers of the day. They didn't like what he was saying, so they took him before the Sanhedrin, which was known as the court of the time at that time. They took him before the Sanhedrin, and you would know him by the name Stephen from the book of Acts. They took him before the Sanhedrin and they accused him of speaking this other, this other message and, and actually trying to stir up trouble by lifting up Jesus as the King or the Messiah to come. And so Stephen stands before the Sanhedrin and not only does he still continue to speak the name of Jesus when they're putting him on trial, he calls the Sanhedrin stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts. It'd be like standing up and saying, you're a bunch of hard-headed idiots and you're not going to listen to me, but I'm going to tell you anyway to a judge or to a government official, accused them of murdering the Messiah, said it's because of you that he died on a cross. It was because of you that he went through the torture and the shame. And he points the finger right at the Sanhedrin. They become furious, and the Scripture says they gnashed his teeth. They gnashed their teeth, which means they were snarling, they were angry. They rushed at him, they take him out, drag him into the middle of the city, and there they have him stoned to death. And it wasn't like little pebbles. It was big old rocks of stone that they could toss at Stephen. And just moments before the crushing stones would take his life, he looked up into heaven and he saw the clouds split and the clouds roll away and Stephen sees Jesus standing at the throne of God. And the Scripture says that Stephen prayed this prayer and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this against them. Stephen's known as the first martyr. The first one to die for his faith, to stand for the name of Jesus, to stand for the belief in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, to stand for the Messiah who said, I have come. Stephen stood for that, and he faced death. I don't know about you, but I know me in the middle of that situation, if I'm being stoned, I'm not saying, Lord, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. I'm saying, Lord, rescue me. I'm saying, Lord, I don't want to die. Lord, Lord, please save me. Lord, make something happen. Bring down your angels and destroy this. Destroy all those people that throw in these stones. Do something to get me out of this situation. Not Stephen. He faced death with confidence. He looked at death as a victory. Stephen faced death without fear. 
How could he be so confident? How could he be at the end of his life and be down on his knees and knowing his life is coming to an end and say, Lord, receive my spirit, but hold it, don't hold this against them. How could you be in such confidence at a time of death? I think there are many people in this world and quite possibly even people in this room today who are lacking confidence when it comes to the idea of death. You may come in this place today and you're like, he, preacher's talking about death, and, and that itself may scare you or put fear into you. And what people do is when they're scared of death, one is they either ignore it and say, I'm just not going to talk about it, even though I know it's coming. And all of us in this room would agree and say, I know it's coming. I'm not going to live forever here on this earth. We know it's coming. But so many times we either ignore it or we make jokes about it. And so we don't really deal with the heart of the issue so that we can face it without fear. Hebrews 2.15, the writer says, refers to them as those who all their lives are held in slavery because of the fear of death. Some of you in this room today might be feeling like you're entrapped or you're in slavery because you have a fear about death. It's something that actually holds you back. It's something that actually slows you down. It's something that is a stress to you. It's something that concerns you, and you're not sure, how do I get over that? Or I'm afraid of a loved one that is sick and they're facing death. Even though you may realize that our time could be this week. My hope and my prayer is that today you can walk out of this place, and you can walk out of this place with some confidence about the topic of death. You can walk out of this place without fear, without being unsure. Walk out of this place knowing that if it were my time, I know exactly what's going to happen and I can actually look forward to that day when it comes. See, some here today are just like Stephen. Some in this room see death as a sweet victory. Some in this room look at death and you go, you know what? It's coming. I'm okay. All fear is gone. You face death with confidence. And you know that if your day is today or your day is tomorrow or your day is next week or, or five years from now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now, you're like, Lord, whenever it comes, it comes and I'm okay with that. See, I think we have two choices when it comes to death. One is we have the choice that we can be unsure and we can be fearful. We can be terrified of it. Or the second choice is we be confident, trusting God that the best is yet to come. See, I think the two sides of coin is like two sides of a teeter-totter. You either live on this side of the teeter-totter where it's like, I'm scared to death. I don't want it to happen. I don't want my mom to die. I don't want my dad to die. I'm so terrified of myself dying. I'm just, I'm just all bottled up because of that. Or you could be on this side of the coin saying, you know what? If that happens, that's okay because that's when life really gets good. And sometimes what happens is we teeter-totter back and forth. One day I'm scared, one day I'm okay. One day I'm scared, one day I'm okay. I hope we can get to the point today that you can be totally confident of death that is so imminent for all of us. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've been walking through 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 4, and 5 and just seeing what Paul, the Apostle Paul, had to say to the church in Corinth when they were trying to deal with some hard, difficult situation and trying to say, listen, listen, you can be confident in your setting. And today, I just want to read the text as a whole, the first 10 verses, just to grasp the whole of it. And then I want to dive in and see four uh, principles, I think, that Paul lays out here that helps us deal with death, with death in a confident way. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed, 
with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in a body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we take it, so we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due Him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Let's ask God to speak to us. Father, we just ask that your scripture speaks to us today. Lord, we're dealing with a topic today that can be extremely difficult for some. And Lord, I pray today that we will all grow in our confidence. We'll grow in our in our security in you. We'll grow, Lord, in a, in a point that, that we don't have to face death with fear. We can face death, Lord, even actually looking forward to it and joy that the day that when that comes, that we, as long as we're in Jesus, Lord, there is nothing to fear. And so, Father, as we dive into this scripture, would you speak to us? Speak to us in this room, Lord. Help our, our minds and our heart hear from you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul brings out four principles that I think bring confidence. Principle number one is this, that we can face death with confidence when we realize that we're living in a tent. See, two times in these verses, Paul refers to this physical body as a tent, living in a tent. And you say, well, why would Paul do that? Because Paul knew about tents. Paul's job was a tent maker. He's one who made tents. He sold tents. That's how he made money to go out and be a missionary and to preach and teach and, and travel. His income came from making tents. And so he's using something he's very familiar with to try to bring out a spiritual, biblical, doctrinal principle to us for us to understand. And there's two qualities about tents that I, I want you to understand this morning that tie with our lives. Both of these qualities underscore the fact that, that why living in a tent is meant to be temporary. And now you've seen it before. After a natural disaster of some kind like Katrina, some people end up living in tents for a while. Now some end up in some kind of trailer, but they're all temporary situations. But many times, you watch in foreign lands like over in Haiti or something like that, earthquake hits, what happens? You see like tent cities pop up all over the place just trying to give some people some shelter. And I am confident, and I'm sure you understand, that those are temporary situations. If you ended up in a tent because of a tragedy, I know you would be thinking, how do I get out of this thing? How do I get to an apartment? How do I get back to a house? How do I get to something that's more solid? And there's reasons for that. First of all, it's because a tent is insecure. I mean, we understand that. A tent does not make a good fortress, does it? A tent does not make something that really protects you. You cannot deadbolt a tent against intruders. Have you ever seen those tents where they sell these little locks with them? You take the little zipper and you connect it and you put this little tiny lock in it. I've always wondered, why did they do that? I mean, anybody with a knife would say, I got a lock. Okay, cut your tent. I'm in. They don't protect you. If you're out in the woods and a bear is coming, do you think you're running in a tent? No, you're not. You're looking for solid structure that you can climb up on top of, get away from, whatever can protect you. But a tent is not what you're going to run to because they're not good at keeping animals out. A tent is, is also not a place where you want to be seeking during the middle of a raging storm. I mean, when the rain is coming down and the winds are blowing, none of us are saying, hey, let's get inside the tent. We'll be okay. 
We had an experience like that one time when I was a kid. My dad and my uncles and my brothers and some of my cousins, we would tent, every, tent camp every year, just the guys. And my one uncle had a big old army tent from his days in the army. I mean, it was huge. I think it's like the size of this stage, probably over-exaggerated, but it felt like that. And we were tent camping on the shores of Lake Erie up in Michigan, and a storm came up, and it was starting to blow, and it was late, and we were, we were a little scared. And so we all got in the corner of a tent, and you know, we were holding it down, and then us younger kids were like in the middle of the tent holding it down. It was one of those tents where, you know, you get all that water like starting to seep, like is that thing going to bust, you know, so someone every now and then is pushing it, like don't start dripping. And it was blowing, I don't know how strong the wind was. When it finally stopped, we walked outside of that tent. It actually stood with all of us men holding it down, and kids. We walked outside that tent, and there was tents strewed all across the park. There was campers that had been flipped upside down. We don't know how we made it. Terrified. You, you saw eight to ten men who were um, scared to death. Because you know what? Tent's not going to protect you. You know it's a temporary setup. Let, let, let me tell you, life in a tent is uncertain at best. In a like manner, so is life. So it's like there's no guarantee. That it can be destroyed in a second. One moment things are going pretty good. The next moment an intruder breaks in or a strong wind destroys or the car accident happens or cancer is announced. Life is like a tent. Very temporary. Very insecure. No matter how much insurance we buy, no matter how much money we save, no matter how many security systems we install, no matter how much the world's goods we accumulate, all of this does not change the fact that this life that we are walking in right now is a very earth, in this very earthly physical body is merely a tent that can be blown over rather easily at any second's notice. And see, we look forward more to death when we realize this is just a very temporary thing. David summarized this well in 1 Samuel 20 when he says, there is only one step between me and death. Because truth be told, we don't know what the next moment brings. Last week I referred to when my father passed away with a massive heart attack. We didn't know it was going to happen like that. We couldn't plan for that. It just happened. Second quality of a tent is it's uncomfortable. It's another reason why most people don't want to live in a tent for a long time. Camping? Who likes to camp? So we have some campers. You all would probably agree. Two or three days, maybe five days in a tent, I can manage. You say, put me in a tent for two or three weeks or four weeks or a month. You're like, no way, I'm not doing it. Because we understand they're uncomfortable. But Brianna's idea of camping is a holiday inn with a hot shower and a maid to marry make the bed. How many can see people say amen? Well, that's the most amens I've had in years. That's my idea too. I love it. See, when I was a kid, I loved a tent camp. Because it was a lot of work, and us kids went and played while the moms and dads did all the work. And now I'm a mom or dad. I'm like, I am not doing all the work. Beyond that, they're not comfortable. I mean, who says it's fun to lay in a stuffy, sweaty, stinky tent with dirty socks in the corner, and you're sleeping or trying to sleep, and there's a root or a rock in your back, and you're like, okay, this ground is not hard, and the more you think it's not hard, it gets harder. And whenever you have to go to the bathroom, if you're at a campground, you've got to get up and put shoes on and find a flashlight and walk a mile to go to the bathroom. Nothing fun about that. It's uncomfortable. Many times... That life in a tent that's uncomfortable is just like real life. Many times it's not comfortable. See, the longer we live in this world 
in this tent, our body, the more uncomfortable it gets, is what Paul was saying. Look at verse 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, while we are in this tent, we groan and we are burdened. You ever notice that with your body? You never, ever notice how the longer you're in your body, how, well, now that knee hurts. Oh, now that knee hurts. Okay, now that foot hurts. Will that foot ever stop hurting? Oh, wow, now that back hurts. Will that back ever stop hurting? Oh, wow, why am I so tired? Why am I so worn out? We're uncomfortable. Sickness happens. Disease happens. Financial problems happens. Have you ever found physical life to be a bit uncomfortable? Has that ever happened to you? If it hasn't, be ready. It will. It's coming. See, we'll all face death with confidence when we realize that this tent that we have is temporary, is really not that great. At times, it's quite a struggle. At times, it's not very secure and it gets more uncomfortable with time. When we realize that, when we realize this tent, this body we have is just temporary, we won't want to hold on to it so tightly. Sometimes we hold on to life so tight. But when we start realizing it's a temporary setting, we start letting go, we loosen things up. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we want to die right now because there's nothing wrong with living, but what it means is that we are confident in the face of death because we know that this life is only meant to be a temporary setup. So Paul was trying to say, Paul was saying, don't hold on so tightly. It's very temporary. Over time, it's becoming increasingly more and more uncomfortable, more of a struggle. Revelations 14, 13 says, Happy are the dead who die in the Lord. They will find rest from their labor. Another translation says blessed. In other words, that's when rest comes. That's when the body then gets to finally slow down. The body takes that rest. He says, if you're in the Lord, you'll be happy. Secondly, we can face death with confidence. We understand what happens when we die. We understand what's going to take place. See, there are many different things people fear. Some people have the fear of heights. Some people have fear of falling. Some people have fear of closed spaces. Some people have the fear of spiders. Some people have the fear of, fear of snakes. One of the greatest fears, though, is the fear of the unknown. I mean, stop and think back with me for just some years ago in your life. Stop and think back to things that you did that... You know, you were scared because you didn't know. Maybe for guys, maybe it was picking up that phone and calling that girl for the first time and saying, hey, would you like to go out on a date with me? And you're terrified and your palms are sweaty and you, and you just don't know because you never walked down that road before. Maybe for some, it's buying your first home. Do you remember going and saying, I'm going to buy my first home? And everybody said, oh, be prepared to sign a lot of paperwork. What are you talking about? And you're sitting there signing paper after paper after paper and you see on the dotted line, wait a minute, this home cost me $100,000 and I'm going to pay $201,000 in interest? fearful moments that we walk through. For some, it's college. You're thinking about college, but you never walk through college, and you're scared going, man, it's my senior year of high school, and college is supposed to be next, but I've never walked through college. I don't know what that's like. For others, it may be applying for that first job, and you've been called for the interview, and you're like, I'm going to an interview. What am I supposed to do? I've never been on an interview. But once you had a few, then it's a little bit easier to relax and go, I've walked through an interview before. See, doing something for the first time can be extremely scary. And I would venture to say that none of us here have experienced death yet for the first time. Because we're all sitting right here in this room. See, if you haven't walked through death and you have some unknowns, that brings some fear. You, you, you hear about it, and you, but you're like, I haven't walked through it. Perhaps the best antidote for this kind of fear of the unknown is information. See, when you prepare for the interview and you've done a little background research and you start learning, oh, that's what I'm going to walk through, or you prepare for college, you know, okay, as I go to college on day one, we're going to do this, and then this is what it's going to be like. It's easier to relax. 
And so the Scripture gives us some instruction and gives us some guidance right here. The Word of God in our text, other places, tell us what's going to transpire when we die. Basically, four things will happen to each of us in this room. If the Lord waits a while, we will go through these four things. The first is departure of the body from the Spirit. There will be a separation of the Spirit that operates. Your body will separate, and your body will no longer function. This tent, this body, has an outer casing. Inside of that is a Spirit that gives life to it, a Spirit that, that allows you to function the way you, you function and to be who you are. Let me try to illustrate it this way. We're just now moving out of winter season, we hope, as this weather does its roller coaster ride. But we just a few months removed, and Wintertime comes, what do you do? You go and find your box or your drawer or your supply of hats and gloves. You take a glove out that's been all crinkled up and stuffed in a drawer for a while or stuffed in a box for a while. That glove has no function. It just lies there. But what happens is you go and put that glove on your hand and all of a sudden the fingers can move and the glove takes shape. And so your hand makes that glove move and take shape, and that's how that glove functions. But when you pull your hand out, then that glove lays there. It still may keep the shape of your hand, but there's no functioning going on with that glove. It's just lying there until, again, you pick it up and you slide it on. That's kind of like our bodies. We have a spirit that comes inside of us, and we start to function, and we start to move as that spirit moves us. But when we die, that spirit's pulled out. Then the body just lies there, and it has shape, but it has no function. It's not able to move or not able to do anything because the spirit has been removed. See, when Jesus came to the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, to bring her back from the dead, the Word of God says, He took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit then returned, and she sat up and stood up at once. When we die, our spirit leaves our body. And in that one example of Jesus doing that healing, shows when the spirit comes back, her body then is able to operate again. After the departure from the body comes, then the immediate presence comes with the Lord. There's an immediate presence when you die that you're with the Lord. Paul said in verse 8 of our text, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So when your spirit is no longer with the body, it's now with the Lord. There is not some intermediate state for Christians as some believe to take care of and purge their sins and do some purgatory time. i got to tell you, Jesus took care of that on the cross for you and me. Jesus died on the cross, and his blood shed on the cross took care of that. And when a Christian dies, they're immediately in the presence of the Lord. Think about that for a moment. To depart from this awful, wrecked world that we live in and to be in the eyes of the Lord. And it's an immediate thing that takes place. Third, following this will be the receiving of our new body at the glorious return of Christ at his second coming. See, Paul said we will not be found naked in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to spend eternity. We're not going to spend eternity disembodied spirit floating around in the clouds in the middle of nothingness. We're going to get new bodies when Christ returns. These bodies that we have will be new and improved. I love the words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the air, meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What's Paul explaining to the church at Thessalonica there is this, the bodies that are in the grave will rise up and meet their spirits, and there's going to be a great and glorious meeting in the area. It sounds like some crazy movie, doesn't it? 
It sounds like something that's really hard to picture, but those bodies get reunited with their spirit, and then the bodies that are alive, that are still alive, then they gather up in the Lord with, with them in the air. It sounds like something you and I can't picture, and I think that's why Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. That's how we walk in this world. But there's a great and glorious meeting, and I love it. It's verse 18 says, Therefore, encourage one another, one another with these words. What encouragement to look somebody who is a Christian, who's been in Jesus, say, hey, one day this body all comes back together and you'll be with the Lord. What encouragement, what hope that brings at a time of the Christian's funeral. And then fourthly, what happens when we die is there's a time of judgment. Verse 10 says, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Now, sometimes we get fearful of the judgment. Oh, no, I'm going to be judged. Was I good enough? Did I, did I pass the test? Is my sin list all covered up? Let me, let me explain judgment real simple for you. Judgment is this. For the non-Christian, judgment is when God says, I'm sorry, but there's an eternal separation from me and you. There's not an eternity in heaven. There's an eternity in, in hell. That's the truth of the gospel. That should motivate us as Christians to want to be able to speak up, to be able to share with our friends, with our family, co-workers, people we know. Do you know Jesus? Because at that judgment, there will be a complete separation for those who did not accept Jesus as Savior while they're here on earth, that they will live in separation from God forever. Now for the Christian, judgment is not, is not, were you good enough? Judgment is, did you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. Then judgment comes in understanding what kind of rewards does God have for us? What kind of pats on the back, so to speak? I, I think judgment for the Christian is not for our sins because our sins are already washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Judgment was when God says, hey, look at all the great stuff you did. I'm so excited for you. If you made the comparison, so to speak, is what we do in children's ministry sometimes is, hey, here's a reward. Here's, here's a star for you. Here's a pat on the back. Here's hooray. Whatever it may be, as God brings out those, and I think some people like Paul and, and some of the martyrs like Paul, they're going to have some great rewards compared to some of us softies. But there's going to be some great times when God says, you've done great. Thank you for serving in the kingdom of God. and Thank you for doing your best to carry my name while you're here on earth. See, that's what happens when we die. Our spirit departs and we go to be with the Lord immediately. Then at the return of Christ, we get the new body, we receive our rewards, and then comes a perfect existence in eternity for Jesus or with Jesus. And John, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. That's a promise. That's not an if. That's not a maybe. That's a promise that I'm going to go and prepare the place, and I'm coming back to get you. I'm coming back to get you because I have great things in store for you. Thirdly, the principle that helps us to face death with confidence is when we eagerly anticipate eternal life. Eagerly anticipate eternal life. We realize that we are living in this tent. We understand that what happens when we die, we should eagerly look forward to eternal life. The longer we live, the more attractive that should be to us. As you get older, the more attractive heaven should be. The old preacher once said, I am so homesick for heaven, it is the hope of dying that has kept me alive for this long. And for some, that's how you feel. Like, man, I just can't wait for heaven, but because I have that hope, it keeps me here on this earth. 
Paul in our text says we groan longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. We would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We groan, we long, we prefer to be clothed in our heavenly body. Paul says that's the groaning that's going on. When you, oh my, I can't believe this is going on in the world. Oh my goodness, did you hear about that in the world? Oh my goodness, my body is doing this. When we're going through those situations, those circumstances, it's telling us we have more of a longing to be in heaven. I love Revelation's description, though, of the holy city. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And you remember that moment? Remember that moment when your bride is prepared and dressed for your husband? I remember Brian and I got married. We did things a little bit different. We, she did some pictures with the, with the wedding party. I did some pictures of the wedding party. Then we cleared out the sanctuary, and the, the photographer had Brian stand up on the stage and fluffed her dress and had her already. I was out in the lobby somewhere, and they cleared it. And then I got a chance to walk in and see her for the first moment and walk down the aisle. It was just her and I. I'll never have that picture out of my mind, how beautiful my bride was. And look at the description beautifully dressed for a husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and we will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. Do you look forward to the day? You look forward to the day when there are no more pains, no more aches, no more political fights, no more LGBT things going on, no more battles happening, no more you're right, you're wrong, I'm good, you're bad, no more fighting. No, the heaven is a place of no more turmoil. I look forward to that day. I look forward to the new body. I look forward to seeing the loved ones who have gone before me. I look forward to meeting some of the great martyrs who have lived. I look forward to meeting the disciples, getting a chance to have some conversation with them. I look forward to seeing all the millions of people. I look forward to being in a, in a world where there is no sin and there is no pain. I look forward to praising Jesus, not with a few thousand or a few hundred, but millions and billions of people all together. Could you imagine standing next to millions of believers singing Amazing Grace and they're all on key? I mean, how amazing would it be? See, when we realize that we're now living in a tent, it's insecure, it's uncomfortable, it's a temporary home. When we understand that what happens when we die, that, that we leave our body, there's a home with the Lord, we have a new body, there's rewards we get, when we eagerly anticipate eternal life, we understand that. And then when we are assured of our personal salvation, we can face death with great confidence. And this is a key one. If you're sure of your salvation, there is no reason to fear death. Sometimes the challenge, though, for Christians are, or is, is that we're not 100% sure of our salvation. I run into people who've been in a church for a long time. You have conversations. Well, you're ready for death. Well, I'm not really sure. Why are you not really sure? Well, I'm not sure if I've been good enough. I'm not sure if I've done this right. I'm not sure if I handled things right. Wait a minute. Are you in Christ? Well, I think I'm in Christ. Why do you think you're in Christ? Well, I made this confession, but I'm just not really sure. There's all this wrestling going. I want to tell you, your assurance of salvation is pretty simple. It's really not a difficult thing. See, Paul says in our text in verse 1, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. Our home in heaven is not a maybe. It's not a maybe you will be there. It's either a yes you are or no you won't. See, in Christ it is already a reality and we can count on it if you're in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus. 
See, listen to what Paul says in verse 5. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. See, it's been God's purpose from the very beginning to clothe us with a heavenly body that will not groan and be burdened or die. And God has guaranteed it by making a deposit. That deposit was the Holy Spirit. Now see, in most of us understand when you travel from one town to another town, one state to another state, one city to another city, one country to another country, you understand deposits. We put deposits down on reservations on hotel rooms all the time. And you either have a piece of paper or you have something on maybe your smartphone or your tablet. And when you walk up to the counter, you say, hey, I have a reservation to be here for the next two nights or three nights. And you show them documentation of that. That you're put down a deposit to stay in their location. I want you to know Jesus Christ has already paid the price on the cross for you. He's our deposit. He's our deposit. And at your baptism, He washed away your sins and He gave us the Holy Spirit indwelling in us and help us begin the process of becoming like Christ. Paul says that, that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that Jesus is coming back to bring us home. It's a deposit. He would not have put down a deposit if He wasn't coming back to get us. The question is, are you confident that when you die, you'll go to heaven? If you're a Christian, you should be 100% confident. Say, you know what? I know I'm going to heaven, no matter what happens. Let, let me share with you a few verses, because I think it's pretty simple to know. A few verses that just, if you've done this, you know, I'm assured I'm going to be in heaven. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Mark 16, 16 says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. If you follow the command of Scripture that Jesus instructed, you can be assured my home is in heaven. I mean, if you believe in Jesus, all you have to do is confess Him before men. You stand up and say, I believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. I believe in Jesus. My faith is Him. I repent of my sins, which means I make a U-turn. I, I say, I've been wrong. I, I agree with God that I've not been following that. I surrender my life to Him and say, I'm no longer in charge. God, I'm let you be in church. You get immersed in baptism. If you've done that, there's no doubt of your salvation. Absolutely none. Some people doubt their salvation, though, because they think they haven't been perfect since they've been saved. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. I don't know about you, but I haven't been perfect since I've been saved. Any perfect people in here? First service, we had someone kind of raise their hand halfway. They, we all know we're not perfect. We know we make mistakes. We know that we sin. We know that we fall short. Scripture is pretty clear, though. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and forgive us our sins. We need to understand that no one has been perfect. And God says if we confess, in other words, we agree, God, I've fallen short. God, I've messed up. He says there's new life in me continually. I forgive you of that sin. He'll forgive us. If you're a Christian, you've obeyed the gospel plan of salvation, then you're saved and don't expect to be perfect. If you're living an expectation, I'm going to be perfect, I want to tell you something. You're listening to the liar the evil one, who comes to kill, steal, and destroy because he messes with our mind and he tells you you're not good enough. i got to tell you, we'll never be good enough. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. See, you're going to make mistakes. If we're really doing our best to walk in God, we've really put our faith in Him, you're going to stumble and you're going to fall. But just because you stumble and fall doesn't mean your salvation is at jeopardy. Your eternity can still be with Jesus. 
See, we can face death with confidence when we're, first of all, assured of our personal salvation, eager to go to heaven. When we understand what happens when we die, we realize this body is only a tent. It's a temporary situation. Church, I hope you walk out of here knowing and believing the best is yet to come. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for Paul's instructions to the church in Corinth that we get a chance to receive this morning. God, help us to live believing, believing that the best is yet to come. Father, give us an eagerness for heaven. Father, help us to believe in your scriptures and understand what happens when we die. And Lord, help us to not hold on to this tent, this body too tightly. Lord, I do pray this morning for those who maybe are not sure about their salvation. Today they could be, Father. Today they could take the simple act of confessing and repenting, surrendering their life to you and being immersed in baptism. Lord, if there's someone in this room that needs to do that, would you move in their heart and mind during our time of communion, during our time of decision? Father, if we are wrestling with doubt, would you remind us of our time of salvation, our time of decision when we made those decisions and Satan, the evil one, messes with our mind and tries to get us to doubt it, take away the doubt. Lord, each week we celebrate in communion, we celebrate with this simple meal to remind us that you died for us and that your blood shed on the cross covers our sin and when we believe in you, Father, we do not need to fear death. Father, help us to face death with confidence because we walk in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.